0: Well, this is a song of blessing, isn't it? It's a song about being blessed. Do you feel like that is you? Like you are blessed? Most of us are so distracted, we don't even know how to answer. Someone asked me the question this morning, how are you doing? And I I was so distracted, so perpetually distracted by so many things going on in the world, going on in my life, that I don't even honestly know how to answer the question, how are you doing? In a world where we are constantly bombarded with data and opinions and input, invited and otherwise, from all the voices, all the circumstances, everything going on around us, we are overwhelmed. Seems like we have two choices. We can try to listen to all the craziness of all the voices, everything that's out there, and it's like we get sucked into it and we become crazy ourselves, or we try to block all that out, but the problem with that is the more we block that out, the more we're stuck with the craziness inside our own heads, and that doesn't feel any less crazy, frankly, than the crazy that's out there. So what we need is we need something solid something to anchor us in the wind and the waves, something firm on which to stand. We need something clear to shine through like a beam of light through the fog to help us to press on. We need clarity and we need certainty on that which is simple and guaranteed. So we turn this morning to Psalm 32. I want us to simply focus on what is the simple truth of this psalm. We can be simple or certain, and we can be clear about this. If you confess your sins, you will be completely forgiven. And in the midst of whatever chaos you are called to endure, you can experience the closeness of God. This is a psalm about being Blessed. That's why the psalmist begins the way he does, right? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And look at how he ends. Be glad in the Lord. Be glad in Yahweh and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy. It's a psalm that begins by declaring the blessing and ends by saying, what's it like to experience this blessing? That's what I want for us this morning. I want us to contemplate what is this blessing that can actually give us joy. Joy in the midst of chaos and uncertainty. What can we learn about this blessing? We'll think this morning under three headings. The first one is this. I want us to think about the greatness of the blessing. The greatness of this blessing, that is that we have complete forgiveness for sins. Look at verse one. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is forgiven covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord, Yahweh, counts no iniquity. There are a couple emphatic repetitions in these opening verses. Did you pick up on them? There's the repetition of blessed, which means approved, which means you have received blessing, you've received kindness from God that you did not deserve, which means that you should, as a corresponding result, be happy. You are happy. You should consider yourself happy. You should experience happiness because the Lord has approved of you and given you kindness that you did not deserve. Blessed, blessed, blessed is who? What is this blessing? Well, there's another emphatic repetition in these verses. Did you pick up on it? It's sin. That doesn't seem like it should go with blessing. Blessed is the one whose transgression. Blessed is the one whose sin. Blessed is... The one who has iniquity? This is is weird. There's three different words for sin. The psalmist, in in, in song type fashion, is using different words to draw out different images. Your transgression is the, the crossing of a line. You've gone too far, you've gone over and above, you've broken the law of God. Your sin is you're, you're failing, you're falling short, you do not measure up to the righteous standards and glory of our Creator and our God. You've gone too far, you've fallen short, and your iniquity is just the guilt that you have. It's the, it's the sinfulness of the sin, it's the evil that now attaches itself to you because of your sin so you're blessed twice but there's sin three times how is it that someone who has sinned who has broken god's law who's fallen short of god's glory who has attached themselves to guilt who is defined by guilt how is this person blessed there are three images that are given to us that counter our sin how god counters our sin blessed is the one who is forgiven the the image here is the image of Someone who has accrued a debt. There is something that you owe that you cannot pay. You know that feeling? You go on the website, you click into your account, and you look at a number that is just so high above anything you could imagine being able to pay off. And you wonder if you will ever be free. Blessed is the one who is forgiven. The debt erased, covered, removed. There's a, there's a, second, there's a second image here, one of being covered, who the one who is covered. This, this simply is getting at this reality that our sin had exposed us for who we are. You are exposed. Your faults are made known. Your failures are seen. Your dirtiness, your uncleanness. But God in his grace has covered you. Your shame before God is removed. You are covered. You are clothed. God has taken care of all that you wanted to hide. There's another image. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord does not count his iniquity. That's simply this reality that your sins had come between you and God. They are what separated you from God. In God's view, in his reckoning, in his courts, you were defined as a guilty one and therefore separated from him. But he does not count your iniquity against you, which means that he has separated your sin from you. He does not attribute that to you. It has been taken from you and attributed to someone else. You are not identified by, identified with, or defined by your sin anymore in the court of God. That is what I call blessing. How is it that David can promise this? How is it that the Word of God tells us that this can be a reality? That the sovereign, all-knowing God of the universe can look at us and not count our sin against us and take that which we've done, which was unjust, and cover it and forgive it. How could this be? It is because there was a price that was paid. The fulfillment of all the promises of God for sacrifice and forgiveness of sins came about when Jesus died on the cross in the place of sinners, transgressors, Lawbreakers and guilty like you and like me. He hung on a cross and declared as he died, it is finished. And unless Jesus is a liar, that means your sins are finally and completely covered, forgiven removed. He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. There is a profound sense in which even Christians still now cannot comprehend what it was that we did. How could it be that my sins were placed on the spotless Perfect, innocent, righteous Son of God? Why were my sins put on Him? Why was it that Hebrews says the Son could offer this sacrifice to the Father through the Spirit, that somehow God on the cross pays the price for me? That the Son experienced something of the wrath of the Father? How is it that there's some kind of rending of the Trinity My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are things we do not understand how it works. But this is what my sin did. And this is what my Savior did to cover me, to forgive me, to pay the price for me. Now this should speak to those of you who take your sin too lightly. And it should speak to those of you who take your sin too seriously. If we consider this reality, the Son of God paid the price for me. The Son of God died for you to be forgiven. Consider the two halves of that sentence. If you consider your sin too lightly, understand this reality. It was the Son of God who had to die in your place. The second person of the Trinity had to take on flesh to atone for what you had done. So great was your sin against the Holy God that no human, no matter how righteous, could ever sufficiently pay the price for you regardless of what you think of your sin it was so serious that god himself had to intervene to save you no other sacrifice would do and if you are prone to take your sin too seriously to wallow in guilt and to not accept forgiveness, understand it was the Son of God who died to forgive you and the Son of God does not fail. He has accomplished his work. No matter how great you think your guilt is, no matter how great your sense of shame is, the reality is that objectively if the Son of God suffered to forgive you, it is finished. This is a great blessing. But you know what else is great about it? How it comes to us. It is the costliest blessing ever conceived of, and yet it comes to us freely by faith. In Romans chapter 4, the apostle Paul quotes these verses. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And he, in his biblical theology, ties it all the way back to Abraham. And he says that's the same language that we got from Abraham when Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This counting of righteousness, this not counting of iniquity, it comes to us simply by faith. This blessing of forgiveness of covering, this removal of our iniquity, it comes to us simply by faith. By placing your trust in the finished work of Christ. The forgiveness, the covering, the removal of the guilt does not come by fixing your life. Does not come by your wise decisions. It does not come by how successfully you manage covid. It comes to you by trust in Jesus. And in Jesus alone. Now this is not new news for most of us, right? Many of us have been in church for a long time and we know these truths. I was I was reminded of this recently. I was doing a little I was going for a little jog around my neighborhood and It's a neighborhood that we have lived in for over a decade now. None of it is new to me. The houses I've seen, the roads I've seen, the trees I've seen, everything around there was familiar. But in this one particular moment, as I was running, I began to take in my surroundings and recognize the privilege of being able to run in a neighborhood that is safe. To, to run in this, in this beautiful weather, to run in a, in a context where there are trees, where there are roads, where there are paths, to, to be able to run with technology in my hand that's tracking my run, to tell me how much slower I'm going than all of my friends. It's fantastic. I'm surrounded by, by these blessings of beauty and the simplicity of a simple neighborhood like the one that we live in. I'm surrounded by blessings... And in this one particular moment, my eyes were open so that I could see and give thanks to the Lord. And I was moved to tears. Now, some of us, some of us have been running around the neighborhood of forgiveness of sins for some time. And it's become too familiar. Our eyes are closed. We're not taking it in. We need to open our eyes to the blessing of what it means the God of the universe sacrificed his son so that we can have certainty that we are accepted, forgiven, and beloved. How, how do we open our eyes to that? Well, we start to come to that question in verse 2. At the end, he says, blessed is the one in whose spirit there is no deceit. That leads us into the second heading, which is simply this, the getting of the blessing. If you consider the greatness of the blessing, the complete forgiveness of sins, how do we get it is the next question. I want that. The getting of the blessing, it comes through confession of sin. Maybe for some of us, the way to have our eyes opened again to the brilliance and the beauty of our forgiveness of sin, the blessing that we know, is to begin again afresh with confession. See, John says this in in 1 John chapter 1. To not confess sin is to live in deceit. This is not simply talking of first-time believers, the first time you come to Christ. This is talking about trying to live in the light as a believer. And John writes this in 1 John 1. He says in verse 8, If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, we're deceivers. We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. He goes on in verse 10, he says this, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See, see, when we try to cover our sin, when we try to hide our sin, we are deceivers, but we're terrible deceivers because we're not deceiving God. We're trying to make him out to be a liar. And if we deceive anyone, it's only ourselves. Make no mistake. God already knows our sins. And really, we do too, if we're honest. I mean, from the time that we were children, we know the commandments of God to honor your father and mother. (laughs) Who, Who of us can look back on our childhood and say, yes, I faithfully habitually, directionally honored my father and mother. In our speech, we are called to truthfulness. Who of us can say, I have given an accurate representation of reality, a truthful testimony and witness in every context. I am a truthful person. My track record is truthfulness. In our emotions... Who of us has not known sinful anger, malice and bitterness and frustration at others and frustration at the providence of God? We get angry sinfully in our sexuality. Who of us, from our heart to our eyes to our bodies, can say, I am pure? All of us have fallen short in our longings, We have longed for and sought after and desired what is forbidden or what is good but simply has not been given to us. We've coveted. So what do we do with this reality? John tells us what to do with this in 1 John chapter 1 in verse 9, the verse that's sandwiched in between the two that we read. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see what, what John is doing a thousand years after David is he is adding his yes and amen to everything David is telling us in Psalm 32. So David, David's testimony in these verses that we're going to look at Moves in three directions. There's a negative, and a positive, and an exhortative. He wants to to warn us about the bad experience he's had and tell us about the good experience he's had and then say, hey, dummy, get in on this. That's what he's gonna do. So he starts his testimony with the negative. When he kept silent, he was living in deceit, in John's language, and the burden was heavy. Verse three, when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. If you have known this experience physically, you know how it relates Spiritually, to have your strength dried up. Maybe that's through sickness. Maybe that's just through some kind of bodily ailment or condition that you're experiencing. Maybe it's through some unknown cause that you don't understand. But you know that physical experience of being heavy and burdened and restless, but tired and insufficient in yourself. The hand of the Lord is. Heavy on you, the inescapable work of the God activated conscience is there to remind us that all will not be well. It will not be well without confession. You are blessed if you know that experience. See, we get it backwards. We often think, oh, I'd I'd be happier if I just didn't have this experience. But, But here's the reality. It is the mercy of God to place his heavy hand on you and to dry up your strength so that you will feel the end of your strength so that you will go to him in your weakness. His heaviness is his mercy because he's driving you towards a better place. He doesn't want you to feel the heaviness. David says, I've been there, I felt that. That is negative, it is heavy. But here's the positive. When I spoke up, he says, when I spoke up, the burden was lifted. Verse five, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. You're picking up on the repetition? Acknowledge, did not cover. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. What happens when he acknowledges? When he doesn't cover, when he confesses, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, when David was thinking about his sin, he thought about transgression and sin and iniquity. And then here again, all three words are used. I acknowledged my sin. I didn't cover my iniquity. I confessed my transgressions. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I didn't cover that's what it means to acknowledge, to confess. It means to not cover. Sin, sin is like nakedness. It fights against being uncovered. You have a compulsion to cover yourself, and that is a good and a right compulsion. It's an acknowledgement that we should not be seen as falling short of what we were created to be, image bearers of the glory of God. But our impulse in the flesh is to cover ourselves, to cover our sin by our own devices. We we sew fig leaves together like our first parents and pretend like that does the trick. What God is calling us to is to be exposed before him, not so that he would leave us exposed, he doesn't want us shamed, but so that he would make the sacrifice, he would shed the blood, he would slaughter the animal, and he would provide coverings for us that are permanent and good. Your impulse is good but insufficient. Only the covering that God provides will last. Do you know this blessed experience? David says, I was exposed, but the Lord covered me. My shame was lifted. My guilt was lifted. The burden was lifted. He's experienced it positively. So now he exhorts us. He bears testimony. Hey, you got to get in on this. He wants you to know it's true too. Now, I, I I have a hat, baseball cap. It's sitting uh, it's hanging on a hook inside the doorway. When you come into our house, there's some hooks and it's hanging there, and it has been hanging there for a long time. That's because it's a Montreal Canadiens hat. And I cannot make myself wear it these days because they are so terrible. See, wearing a hat like that is, is like saying, hey, I'm doing this and it's good. You should get on board with this with me. And I cannot do that because that would be a lie because it stinks to be a Montreal Canadiens fan. So I don't want you to get in on that. But if you ask me about Chick-fil-A, there was this glorious week. It was like, mm, oh, I, I, somehow I ended up having Chick-fil-A three times in one week. A couple weeks ago, it was like, it was this was the greatest of weeks. It was incredible. So so what I do at the end of that week, you know, actually by the Friday for the third time, I was the one saying, hey guys, we can do Chick-fil-A because I'm exhorting others to get in on this because I've tasted and I've seen how good it actually is. This is what David's doing. It's bad. It's bad to have this heaviness of sin but it's good to have it lifted so get in on this he says in verse 6 therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found guys just pause and realize this the scripture's definition of godly for us is not without sin it's one who confesses sin if, if you were godly and that meant you had no sin, you would not need to offer prayers to God at a time when he may be heard. You are godly not when you do not sin only, but you are godly when you confess your sin. That's what he says. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. David is saying confession matters. It matters that you confess your sins. Do you understand what that means? It does not mean bringing new information information to God. It simply means agreeing with God's assessment of yourself. It means bringing your heart in line with the righteous judgments and standards of God. What I have done falls short, and you would be just to judge me for it. That would be the right thing for you to do. I have fallen short in these ways. I see it, I know you see it, and I need you to deal with it because I can't. That is confession. Confession matters. But David says the timing of confession matters. Surely in the rush of great waters they won't reach him there's going to be a time when it's too late. The the picture here is a picture of imagine in Noah's day do do you remember when Noah was building the ark if people were mocking him they they didn't believe why are you building this boat you crazy man but all of a sudden when the rain start falling and the floods start rising and God has closed the door to the boat you can imagine that there were cries to Noah and cries to God for deliverance. But the cries did not reach him. It was too late. The reality is that there will come a moment for you when it will be too late. Too late to confess. Too late to receive forgiveness. Too late to be covered by him. My friend, confess your sins now because the message is in the moment when you confess, you can receive forgiveness. David gets it, and he gets joy. He gets the blessing. He receives it. He experiences it. Verse 7, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. He's overflowing with praise and rejoicing. When the sorrows of life come, And temptations to despair come, my own voice and the voices of those around me and the voices of people on social media, when these voices get loud, the reality is I am still delivered. I'm comforted, I'm surrounded, I'm covered, I'm washed clean, I'm protected from the storms around me because I'm safe inside, because the Lord is the one, Yahweh is the one who surrounds me, and he surrounds me with shouts of deliverance. You are surrounded by voices today. So many opinions So much conflict, so many issues, so many people trying to speak into our reality. Which voice of all the voices is the loudest for you today, Christian? Do you hear David's words? You are surrounded by the shouts of Yahweh. Can you imagine for a moment inside your own head, can you imagine what would the shouts of Yahweh sound like? You are surrounded by his voice proclaiming, this one is delivered safe." covered innocent washed clean forgiven this needs to be the loudest voice in your ears in your head and in your heart today christian you are surrounded by shouts of deliverance the god whose word is powerful enough to create everything shouts you are delivered. Are we just making this up? Like, what, what, if, what if this is just David's experience and he's just imagining it? What if it's not reality? Can we trust this? Well, we've heard David's testimony. We turn lastly to God's testimony. He adds his voice to the mix. Here's the third heading. We want to live in the good of the blessings. See. We, We thought about the greatness of the blessing, and how to get the blessing through confession, and now we consider how to live in the good of the blessing, which is simply this, it's closeness with God. Closeness with God. If I was a homeless person, and you bought me a house, that would be an incredible blessing. But then what would you think if I slept on the front yard? See, it sounds ridiculous. But the reality is that we spend so much of our time as Christians sleeping in the front yard rather than moving into the house in the fullness of the blessing that the Lord has purchased for us, which is closeness with him. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Here's the Lord instructing and counseling and teaching Carefully, with his eye upon us. He is watching us and instructing us for our good. This is his care. Verse 9, don't be like a horse or a mule. Don't follow David's experience when he kept silent. Don't be like that. Don't be like an animal without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle so that my heaviness will be upon you. What does God want instead for us? What is the longing of his heart? What is his desire? Why is he telling us don't be like an animal? It's because he wants us to stay near him. Don't be like a horse or a mule which will not stay near you. See, what God's after here, through the accomplishing of the objective forgiveness of sins, is the subjective fulfillment of closeness with him. It is us dwelling with him. He wants you to move into the house, not sleep on the lawn. She had a A fight with my wife this week, and then uh, at the end of it, what we did was we came together and we discussed uh, very rationally all the details, the ins and outs of what happened, and then when we agreed on the objective realities of what happened, we shook hands and we went our separate ways and engaged in our own business. That's ridiculous. That's not what happens, right? It's not what happens. You get in the fight, not because of the thing that happened, but because the thing that happened has separated you from one that you loved. And the end result, when, when, the, uh, when the conflict is resolved, is not that you walk your separate ways, but that you move closer together. I wanted to kiss her again. That's why we made up. This is the heart of God. God. He has accomplished forgiveness of sins, complete forgiveness of sins. And he wants you to confess your sins, to experience that forgiveness so that you would know closeness with him. He wants you to have a life that is different than heaviness and weariness. Look at verse 11. Be glad in Yahweh and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy. This is what he wants for you, to acknowledge the greatness of the blessing in verse 1, but then to live in the good of the blessing in verse 11, which is to have joy. Now, all of that is not to pretend like bad things don't still happen or like hard things in the world aren't real. Look at verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in Yahweh. Notice what it does not say, okay? It does not say many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord has traded his sorrows. That's nonsense. That's not what it says. Look what it does say. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, and that's all they get. They're alone in them. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in Yahweh, even in the midst of his sorrows. You will have sorrows, trials will remain, but in the midst of the trials, you will be surrounded by the covenantal love and faithfulness of God who draws near to you in the sorrows and will not let you go. If you have not been experiencing, verse 11, the fullness of joy, the singing and the rejoicing, it might be because you haven't been living in the reality of verse 10. Knowing his steadfast love. And you might not have been experiencing his steadfast love because you are attempting to cover yourself rather than confessing and letting him be the one to cover you. It's when we are exposed and experience his covering that we know his closeness. We're reminded of his love and we're filled with joy in communion with the one who has forgiven us. What is simple, in a a world of confusion, what is certain is this. You can be blessed with complete forgiveness of sins. It comes to you freely by faith if you confess your sins. And the end result is God's heart for you is that you would know closeness with him. Have you confessed to him? Let's pray.